Good morning. How you doing this morning? Good morning. Good morning, Church Online. As Teresa said, it's great to be with you today, and we'll be here about once a month. Pastor Ryan will be in Quakertown those Sundays so we can connect, and it's one church, two campuses. Our God's great, isn't he? Come on, he's doing some great things here. Look around. God is doing some great things. Let's give the Lord a praise this morning. Amen. Amen. And do, please do, pick up your book here, take notes, write some things down. We can grow in the Lord. We do sermon series that are extended, and you can dig into the Word of God during the week and grow in the Lord. And so uh, we're continuing our series in, in Daniel, the, the message series, Stand Strong. We started last week, and it's taken from our theme for 20. 21, stand strong, Ephesians 6, 10 that says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the armor of God, and if I could interject, get dressed for battle. Get dressed properly for battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I want to interject this. This is a spiritual battle, and it's played out in everyday life. How many know that already? Come on, everyday life, everyday life that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, and I think we're getting there right now, and having done all, to stand. So now is the time, today is the day in which we need to take a stand for that which matters most, in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. And so I just want to do a quick recap of last week. Daniel started out as a 15-year-old prisoner of war, and he went to the pinnacle of success. He was unmovable, he was determined, ambitious, despite of the unfavorable circumstances, insurmountable odds, and he showed to us that he was able to stand strong. Say that with me right now, if you would please. Stand strong. Stand strong. Stand strong. So, 2,600 years ago, the nation of Israel, they had some issues and they had some problems in their nation. They had fallen into immorality and injustice, idolatry. They were treating people unjustly and unfairly. Does that sound kind of familiar, maybe a little bit? Yeah. The prophets were saying, if we don't repent, we're going to be judged. If we don't repent, we're going to be disciplined. We're going to lose our freedom. And they were warning the nation. God was grieved, righteously angry. So about 600 B.C., now, I'm going to say this, the evil king Nebuchadnezzar. And so if you just play along with me a little bit, I did this last week. So for this to work, you have to participate. Tell your neighbor, participate. So when I say Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, I want all of you to go boo. Let's try this. One, two, three. Boo. That's pretty good. Let's try it again. Nebuchadnezzar. Boo. Okay, we're going to do that a few times, not the whole sermon. If we do it the whole sermon, we're going to irritate one another, okay? Just a couple times, we're going to do that. So, about 600 B.C., the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, that's good, of the Babylonian Empire, modern-day Iraq, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, he invaded Israel. They destroyed the capital city, the holy city, Jerusalem, and the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, I can do better than that. King Nebuchadnezzar, there you go. He took over the whole nation. And he took 25% of the nation of Israel back to Babylon as prisoners. And he kept them 70 years. He took the best of the best, the brightest, the strongest, the healthiest, the most likely to succeed. And he put them in a three-year intentional indoctrination program to reprogram them, to brainwash them. Daniel and his three friends and others, thousands, so they would think like their culture, believe like their culture, and behave like their culture to steal their identity. Daniel and his three friends, we see, were about 15 years old. And Daniel's story takes him from 15, the book of Daniel, to the age of 85. They were tested over and over again in their life. And so here's a life principle. Here's some of the things you can write down. God tests us with stress before he trusts us with success. 
He's going to test you with stress before he trusts you with success. Before every blessing, there's always a testing. If we're going to be used by God, he's going to test us first. He wants to be sure you're ready to handle. He wants you to be sure you're ready to handle the power, the blessing, the influence, whatever it is. What does God test? He's going to test us. What does he test? Our character, our integrity, our humility, our faithfulness, our generosity, our truthfulness. If we pass the test, we're going to get promoted. More influence, more power, more responsibility. So here's the big idea today. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. If you would stand with me, please. And this is something I've done for about 28 years now. And I do a Bible confession. And the main reason I do this, we're getting ready to receive the Word of God. And if we do this sincerely, and we just say, Lord, I need to hear from you today. How many of you say, I need to hear from God today? How many of you say, I want to grow today? And we want to be challenged today and encouraged today. So that's what we're doing right now. And then everything's not going to be for you, but there's always something and some message and some sermon that you're going to receive. And so that's why we're doing this today. And I believe conscientiously, deliberately, we just stop and pause and say, God, I need you. I want to hear from you today. So let's say this together, if you would. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God, and it will change my life. I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. You sound good. You may be seated. So as we look at Daniel chapter 3, we see they face the same four things that we're facing in our culture today. So this is 15 years later than what we looked at last week. Daniel and his three friends are no longer teenagers. They're about 30 years of age, serving under the most powerful king in the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Oh, okay. Let's do it one more time. One more time real big, and then we'll stop. Say it with me one more time. Boom. Yeah. Now they're serving. They've been promoted. They passed that first test that we talked about last week. And so now they have positions of power and influence. And we look at this and say, where's Daniel in this scenario? Well, we do know he has an important powerful government position. And some of the thoughts of theologians is, why isn't he here in this fiery furnace scenario? Well, he may be on important government business in another part of the kingdom, or, or his enemies at this time were too afraid to accuse him. But we know, and we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, how he stands firm yet again. So we face the same four things in our culture today. Number one, when we look at the first seven verses, bring them up on the screen, the world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. So I want to read these first seven verses. We create Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and it's six cubits, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. He set it up in Dura, the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar sent word together, together, the satraps and the administrators and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of 
is that you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, solid gold. The furnace isn't some little furnace. You know, you're going to throw somebody in. It was a huge stone pit with stone steps going down. He said, if you don't worship, you're going to burn. So we look at this, and, well, was it an idol to their, their chief demon god, uh, Bell, or was it to Nebuchadnezzar himself? And, well, it could have been either or, but I personally think it was the king himself. He set himself up as a god. We look at this, and we see today all around us, how many know you have an enemy, and his name is Satan? Do you know that today? Yeah. Satan, all around us, he's seducing and seeking to intimidate us so we would bow and worship what this culture proclaims as important. Maybe not a 90-foot-tall image or idol, but larger-than-life images, and they're on our devices, they're on our phones, they're on our tablets, our laptops. They tell us what we need, what is important, what we should think, what we should believe, how we should behave, larger-than-life images on the movie screens, actors people idolize, in sports stadiums, in arenas, athletes that people treat as gods. We see this at concerts where performers are larger than life. And then, as I said, the internet and the social media, larger than life. We still have money that people idolize, physical beauty people idolize, culture and our culture, sex is worship, famous idolized. How many realize we're living, and just so you know, I'm not so politically correct, okay? We're living in a PC woke cancel culture. And your enemy wants you to think like this culture, believe like this culture, and behave like this culture. And we have a choice. Are we going to be conformed or transformed like Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 tells us? And so all this culture has to offer us is one big counterfeit. Say with me, counterfeit. I'm going to tell you, sin is a counterfeit. It promises so much, but it delivers so little. How many found that out? Amen? It offers so much, but it fails to deliver. It's time for us to stand strong. And then I'm tempted to create a false image of myself to impress others. And why do we do that at times? Because we all want to be accepted. We want to be loved. Our culture tells us that life is all about image. It's all about images, everything. You know, you can even hire image consultants They can make you look like what you want to look like, who you want to look like. But it's really a lot more simple. The big way people do this, and it's simple today, social media. What do I do? I put pics of my perfect life out there. My marriage is perfect. My spouse is perfect. My family is perfect. My vacations, they're perfect. My family reunions are perfect. Everything's perfect in my life. Yeah, I see you laughing about that, right? Or, okay, don't get mad at me. You put that makeup on a certain way, and your hair a certain way, and you make that certain face, and you take the selfie of yourself, image out there, yeah. Or how about, now, now this is what I've been told because, you know, yeah, I like food, and, and Teresa makes fun of me because that's good, Bob, that's a good pick right there, Yeah. <laughs> Teresa makes fun of me because I remember trips and places by what we ate there. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah. But now you can take pictures of your food at the restaurant, and somebody calls this food porn now. Food porn. <laughs> wow. So it's image building. It's not being the best you can be or trying to look the best that you can, but it's image building, trying to be someone that you are not. And some people don't have to have an idol because they idolize themselves. And how do you know when someone idolizes themselves? Because they believe the world revolves around them. Have you ever met anybody like that? Wow. (laughs) Some hands went up right away. Yeah. 
my schedule, my needs, you know, adapt to my needs, my schedule. And then number three, if I reject the world's idols, I may get burned. So let's look at verse 8 through 12. If I reject the world's idols, I may get burned. Therefore, at the time, or at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have said over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Well, for us, not physically, you know, uh, we're going to get burned in a huge furnace, but other ways. Our whole culture says, love this, like that, worship this, think like this, everyone does it. It, it, it's great, it's the best, nothing like it, and if you don't agree, because let me tell you, this thing called free speech is going out the window, if you don't agree, well, when all the leaders of Babylon heard the band begin to play, their faces fell down, and they began to worship the idol the king had set up. But three guys, say it with me, but three guys. They didn't bend, they didn't bow. They stood firm, they stood strong. We might call them stand-up guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Jewish amigos. They're now governors of the providences in Babylon. They've been promoted, they aren't going to bend and bow, and some people didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. So how is this for loyalty from your coworkers, their friends, their compadres? They're all leaders. They're all officials. And what do we see? Human nature. You ever notice people turn on each other, report on each other, and tell on each other? And well, this is the way. It could have been anti-Semitism, racial bigotry. And there's people that are suffering from that today, unfortunately. Or it could have been more personal. They wanted their jobs. They were jealous or they didn't like their beliefs and they didn't like their God. Let me say this if you don't know it by now. Let me tell you this. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you stand strong for Jesus, your name will not only be written in the Lamb's book of life, but you're going to be on Satan's hit list. That's a good thing. Amen? Amen. The heat will be on. And then obeying God always makes some people angry. If you do the right thing, the honest thing, if you have integrity and you display character, some people won't like it. And I want to tell us today, you know, we can do things the right way with the right attitude and the right heart. I don't mean you're a jerk at work. You're just, you have character, you have integrity. Sometimes we've been a jerk at work and we think we're suffering for Jesus. No, we're just being a jerk at work. But if you have integrity and character, some people just aren't going to like it. Get used to it. It's okay. Amen? Jesus was perfect and they crucified him. Why do we expect any difference sometimes? These three friends dared to defy the king's narcissism. They dared to defy their culture. They said, we're not going to bend and worship anyone or anything other than our God. And all this is background for us today so we can navigate in our culture. When everyone is falling down and worshiping anything and everything, we are going to stand firm and stand strong for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We're not going to be like sheep and go one direction. We're going to listen to one Lord, one voice, one God. We're going to stand strong. So let's look at verses 13 through 15. Take a stand and stand firm. Let's look at 14 and 15, 13, 14, and 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And 
Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the, at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music. When you hear the band play, he says, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? From my hands. So I want to ask us a question this morning. What kind of person are you at home? What kind of person are you on the job? What kind of person are you in your business? What kind of person are you in the classroom? King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, in essence, let's have a God contest. Who is really God? Who is really God? Is it your gods? Is it me? Or is it our gods? And I believe there's an element of that today. So ask yourself, what will I do when the heat is on? What will I do when there's pressure? I want to say this. For the church of Jesus Christ, we may be going down a road we've never been in America, in the United States, and we could enter into the most unbiblical, anti-God, anti-Christian season that we have ever faced in America. I gotta be straight up with you, because I believe God's called me to be a pastor and to understand the seasons and the times to the best of my ability and to receive from godly counselors what I see in the Word of God and to give us a warning in a direction we need to go. If not, I'm going to be failing you today. I say this not with doom and gloom, not at all. We may be going down the most unbiblical, anti-God, anti-church season we have ever faced. The pressure is going to be on. And for some of you, you're already going through what you're going through in your life, and the pressure is there, and you're being squeezed, and you're feeling the heat, and some of you, you know, you think you're going through hell right now, and you're thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Well, this is our part. God's part's coming in just a moment. What do I do when the heat is on? Well, number one, I don't worry about defending myself. I take a lesson right here. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I, I like this. We have no need to answer you in this matter. That's good right there. See, most times when you take a stand and someone doesn't agree with you, they don't like what you're standing for, don't worry about defending yourself. Just quietly trust God that he's going to take care of it. When you're in the fire, I want you to understand, God is a better firefighter than you are. When you're in the fire, he's a whole lot better firefighter than you are and than I am. We always don't have to reply. We don't have to answer. We don't have to treat, uh, tweet. We don't have to text. We don't have to say something. How many's ever had a problem with that because you like to... Come on, how many's had a problem? Let's be honest. We're in church. Come on. I've had a problem with that, man. I've had to have the Lord say, be silent, be quiet, don't say anything, because we got to say something back. we got to answer. we got to reply, you know? Yeah. It gets easier when it's not in person. You can just, you know, text back and tweet back and post back. Yeah, it's a lot easier when it's not in person. So what's implied here is that God, I want you to hear this. We don't have to. And what's implied here is that God doesn't need us to defend him either, not ourselves, nor defend him. He's a big God, amen? Amen. God is saying sometimes, sometimes, that's what God's saying here. I don't need to dignify your last comment or your last question with an answer. We're not worried and we're not impressed by your threats. Let God handle it. And then remember that God has the power to save you. Oh, thank God. Amen. I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter what is going on in your life, what mess you may think you're in right now or a crisis, what kind of difficulty, what 
fire you're trying to put out in your life, remember this, God has the power to save you. God is God. Amen? Nothing's changed God. 2020 didn't change God. COVID-19 didn't change God. If our country goes in the way of socialism, the way it's going, it doesn't change God. Our God is still God. Amen? Amen. No one compares or is equal to our God. He said of himself, I am the Lord. I do not change. We look at the first part of verse 17. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. What a statement of faith. Our God is able. Amen? I don't think he's changed. I think he's still able, don't you? Come on, our God is able. Amen. And then I must believe, I must believe God will save me. The second part of verse 17, and he will deliver us from your hand. Have faith in God today. God responds to faith. That's why Hebrews, Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. God responds to faith. When the heat is gone, on, when you're in the middle of your problem, when you think everything is falling apart and things couldn't get much worse. How many's ever been there before? You think things can't get much worse. You know what happens? They get worse. They couldn't possibly get much worse. Yeah, they get worse. Yeah, when, you, when you're there and you think that, we not only have to believe that God can and that he has the ability to rescue you and deliver you and to save you, we must believe and expect that God wants to. Come on, he wants to. God is for me, amen? He's not against you. You're his son, you're his daughter. And that he will save you. These guys, they're 30 years old now, like I said. The entire nation, everyone, everyone is bowing down. Everyone is doing. Every time the royal band plays, all bow, all worship. But these three men, they take a stand. They have courage. They didn't fake it. They didn't bow down and just say, we're going to look like we're worshiping, but we're really not worshiping. They didn't bow down to worship just this one time. And you know what? Just this one time, you know what? God is going to, to forgive us just this one time, you know? It's okay. Go ahead. Just this one time. You know, no one will know. God understands. You ever told yourself those kind of things? It's okay. Just this once. God understands. Yeah. And that's the scary part. Yeah, he understands. Yeah. Or they didn't say, you know what? If we don't and, and we die, who's going to help these people? Isn't it sometimes how we try to make things sound so spiritual? I'm not going to do that. That's not good stewardship. No, you're cheap. But we try to make it sound spiritual. It's not good stewardship. You're cheap. You know what? We, come on. We try to spiritualize. Just this, you know, we got to be here for the people. I want to say this. If you are committed to serving God, Satan will give you ample opportunities to compromise your commitment. How many said that happen? Yeah. Ample opportunities to compromise our commitment. When the heat is on, we need to surrender to God. And now here's something I said a couple years ago, and some of you remember this, and I want you to write this down. When the heat is on, we need to bow to God. Capital B, capital O, capital W. It's an acronym. We need to believe him, we need to obey him, and we need to worship him. When the heat is on in your life, it's time to bow to God. I'm going to believe him, I'm going to obey him, and it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to lift up and praise his holy name because my God is still God, and he knows what's going on, and he's in control. Man, seven thousand promises in God's Word. I think there's some for you and some for you and some for you. There's plenty for all of us. Amen? But if we don't know them, they're of no value to us. If we don't know the promises of God, we're not going to receive those promises and the blessings and the benefits of those promises. It's, it's like not knowing your insurance policy. If you don't know your insurance policy, you may be a little worried when something happens. But if you know your insurance policy, when something takes place, it's okay. It's good. It's covered. 
Insurance is taking care of it. Oh, my house burnt down, two problem. Insurance is taking care of it. Yeah, some of you may know, but uh, just about five years ago, Teresa and myself and her twin sister, Pastor Ryan's mom and, and my brother-in-law, and they had pastored like 38 years, Morningstar Fellowship in Bechtelsville. We bought a condo in Myrtle Beach about five years ago. Nice place, beautiful place, and a nice area, and a nice golf course, and a nice swimming pool, and a nice clubhouse. And, and I'm going to make this short, but in October, it was robbed. And, and we know kind of who did it, and it was targeted because it doesn't happen in, in that neighborhood. And I'm going to, it was our first cleaning service. We know they got in by a key, not the code. And some of you are old enough to remember. I don't know why Barney and Andy can't figure that out. We tried to tell them that. But, uh, yeah, some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but the thing is, they stole everything. Three bedrooms, two bathrooms, uh, beach gear and beach uh, uh, chairs and, and umbrellas and patio furniture, two shower heads and the kitchen sink and the appliances and the pictures on the wall and the family pictures. Everything. Our, our son who's here today, he's here with me in the front row, and, and they walked in and, and they were going to spend a week there and they love going there. And, and he calls me up and he goes, I thought he was just, you know, messing with me. Dad, there, there's nothing here. <laughs> That's really funny. Dad, no, there's nothing here. And he shows me on his phone, and yeah, you're right, there's nothing in here. Well, here's one good thing, several good things out of this. I had a Bible there, a study Bible. They took that. That's good. Because I prayed over that, that somebody's going to open that up and read that and get saved and come to the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. <laughs> They took golf clubs, they took hats, they took cleaning supplies, everything. But here's the good news. We went down between Christmas and New Year's. I work like I was 25, and you can look at me, you know I'm not 25 anymore. We rented a U-Haul truck, man. We picked up furniture, put together. Some was delivered. We did all that. But I'm going to tell you, this is what the Lord does, what the enemy meant for harm and evil. God can turn it around for good. It's better than it ever was before. Amen. And we look at our insurance policy, and sure enough, it's all covered. Amen? God's got it covered. So if you know what God says, here it is. You're going to have confidence. Here's a promise of God right here. Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God. It doesn't say if, it says when. We're going to go through some fire. We're going to face some stuff. Say to your neighbor, when. But I know what God can do, and I'm expecting God to do it. Amen. I must be loyal to God no matter what. Verse 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I like this. Someone said this. I wrote it down. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the means to overcome it. They stand firm before the king, and they said, we are loyal to God alone, no matter what. We know God can save us. We believe he will save us. But if he doesn't, we're not switching teams. Hallelujah. Faith believes in spite of what I see. I see the bad medical report. I see a broken relationship. I see a bank account that is dangerously low, and yet I at the same time, I see a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. I see a God who is limitless. I see 1 Peter 1.7. This is what God wants to do in your life and my life. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. 
though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Wow. We like it easy. I'm guilty of that. I like it easy at times, don't you? Oh, we're just going to get through this, and then I just want it easy. I'm telling you, God hasn't called us to easy, and God isn't calling us to easy. I'm going to give you something else I think you should write down. When I saw this, I wrote this down too. Something that comes easy never lasts, and something that lasts never comes easy. God isn't calling us to easy. See, three different ways God can rescue you. What happens when I trust God? Or let me say this, what if I trust God? Remember those two words right there. In just a moment, I'm gonna close. I'm gonna talk about those two words, what if. Well, what if I trust God? Sometimes God saves me from the crisis. I like divine detours. God saves me from the problem, the crisis. How many like that, amen? That's, that's good with me, God, yeah, yeah, I don't need to go through this, just take me right on around this. Put me on the bypass. Here's my easy pass. I'm going in that lane. Woo, it's good, God. Thank you, Lord. I missed all of that. Well, he didn't do it this time with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes God saves me through the crisis. Okay. Okay, we're going to do it this way. Sometimes we have to walk through the fiery furnace. God takes us through the fire. He gives you the strength to handle the problem. Tell your neighbor, you can do it. Come on, we can do it. Amen? He doesn't remove the problem, but God enables you to deal with it. And sometime, God saves me by the crisis. Well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean by that is this. Sometimes the problem in your life isn't the problem at all. How many found that out? I think this is the problem, but it's really not the problem. This little problem is going to reveal a greater problem, the greater problem I can deal with. And I thought this is my problem. I've been all upset about this. I thought this was my problem, but now there's something else. But if it wasn't for this problem, I'd never have found out, yeah, I really do have a problem. <laughs> my friends and family's been trying to tell me that all along, but I denied it the whole time, you know. Well, there's a lot of ways that comes about. One way is this, and I've seen this in people's lives. You go to the doctor because you have a problem, and he checks you out, and then he realizes, here's your real problem. If you wouldn't have gotten checked out over what you thought was the problem, you never would have discovered the real problem. It's a blessing in disguise. Amen? So remember what we just looked at, 1 Peter. Chapter 1, 6 and 7. The apostle Peter tells us that this pain may be necessary for now. God doesn't pull us out of every problem we go through. God always has a plan and a purpose. Thank God for that. I think my life's out of control. It's not. God has a plan and a purpose. This trial is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even gold is tested. Gold is purified by fire, and your faith is much more valuable and precious than gold. And one day, say with me, one day, Christ will return and you will be rewarded for the fact that your faith proved to be trustworthy. Amen? Amen. We're in this world, but not of this world. I'm thankful I've been born and raised in the United States of America. I'm a citizen of this nation. And as long as I'm here, and I think more now than ever, we're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to be a voice for life and truth and righteousness. But the truth and the bottom line is, I am a citizen of heaven. And the word says, we eagerly wait a savior from there. Hallelujah. One day. One day. Why is it? Why does God allow us to go through pain in this life? And this is what I've come down to right here. And here it is again. Because God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Thank you, Lord. I like it easy. He's doing something in us because he saves us and we are in a process of sanctification where we're becoming more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. We're growing, and the process of sanctification is a lifelong process. Man, we're in a test. Say it with me. This is a test. Yeah. 
We're in a test right now. We're in a test right now. So these three friends, and I'm almost finished, they would not bend, they would not bow, they would not worship the image, and the king was enraged. This is what he does in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed, and he said, heat the furnace seven times hotter. Think about that. Fire is hot. It has to be seven times hotter. It's hot already. He's enraged. Those soldiers, it says mighty men that were carrying and taking down uh, Meshach, Shagrach, and Abednego that were bound, they were overcome by the flames and overpowered, and they were killed by the fire. Think about it. The king is threatened. He's insecure. Maybe their God is God, and he's going to show up. So what do I take away from this? Here's what we're going to take away. When people overreact to your faith and get so angry, the thing is this. The more extreme your attacker becomes, the more insecure they are. Come on. They're getting so upset because, you know, you shared something, you've said something, you've stood for something. Yeah, the more insecure they are. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome's up to God. All I gotta do is say, I'm gonna believe, I'm gonna obey, I'm gonna worship. God, you're gonna take care of the rest. I'm leaving it with you. So here we go. We look at verse 20 through 23. What happens here? When I trust God, or what if I trust God in the heat? God will walk with me. Amen? You're never alone. It says they were in the fire, and it says the king looked into the furnace, and he says, did we put three men bound in the fire? But I see four, and one is like the Son of God. Praise God. You're never alone in the fire. He's always with you. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. When the heat is on, Jesus is right there with you. This is called a Christophany. This means a, a, an appearance before he was born of a virgin in a manger uh, of, uh, of Jesus Christ. We see it several times in the Old Testament. One that comes to mind is when Jacob wrestled with the angel all night long. He said, I'm not going to let go till you bless me. It was really Jesus Christ when you look at the language there. And then we see God will burn off what's tying me down. What got burned? Only the ropes were burned, nothing else. So what has you tied up? What's holding you back? What's limiting you? God may take you through the fire, and it tells us we're going to come out unsinged, unburnt, not even smelling like smoke. And the things that are not, uh, that are not of God, they're going to be burned away in our life, and you're going to come out of that fire refined, new, and improved, better than you ever were before. God's going to use that thing. God's going to use it. And God will give me a new freedom. You're not going to be bound. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You'll have a liberty in life, a new liberty. God's going to bring you out unharmed, like I just said. Unbelievers are going to come to God. King Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is God. Amen? What a testimony. When you face a test, that means you're going to have a testimony. You're not going to have a testimony without a test. So if you're going through something right now, begin to praise God, because that tells me I'm going to have a testimony. And lives are going to see this, and people are going to recognize it, and lives are going to be changed, and people are going to come to Christ. And if we will pass the test we're in right now, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to have a testimony. And God is going to reward us someday. And I'm not going to read the scripture, but write it down. 1 Corinthians 10 through 15. I want you to think about this as we close this morning. All that stands between you and what seems impossible is this little word, two letters, I-F, if. Say it with me, if. These three men could have been full of if only regrets, but instead they traded if only regrets for 
God's what-if possibilities. Where I first got that was a few years ago when I read Mark Batterson's book. So I want to give him credit, Mark Batterson, pastor in D.C., a young man of God. You see, they decided to stand firm in the fire. I think like you, we've experienced some if-only regrets. How many could say, yeah, you have some if-only regrets in your life? Five of us do. You're going to regret you didn't raise your hand. Let me just say, <laughs> if only regrets. Oh, if only I would have talked to him sooner about Jesus Christ. These are some of my regrets. If only I would have bought low and sold high. If only I would have returned his call. If only I wouldn't have said that. How many said things you wish you never said? Yeah, they're out there. You can't. No, they're out there. Yeah, I said that. I, if only I wouldn't have done that. I'm never going to do that again, and you did it again. If only. If only. You see, if only regrets. What if God possibility? What if? How many's heard of Corey Tin Boone? She hid the Jews in Holland in World War II. What if possibilities, God possibilities? What if Rosa Parks, she didn't move to the back of the bus in Mobile, Alabama in 1955? Trading your if only regrets for God's what if possibilities. Yeah, I've got some regrets. I wish I would have done this in the ministry and maybe that in the ministry, but I'm so thankful that almost 17 years ago, Teresa and I stepped out in faith with the help of the former church we pastored in Morningstar Fellowship, Bechtelsville, and we went to Quakertown believing that God wanted to raise up a revelant gospel full of the Holy Spirit church to reach that community. I'm just telling you, I'm thankful that became a what-if possibility. Our first Sunday in September 2004, I'm saying this for the glory of God, you get a picture, 197 people showed up. Our first Easter, we went to two services. Four and a half years, we did three Sunday morning services. Amen, Joanne? You're a part of that. Many of you are a part of that. I'm so thankful that about January 2019, our leadership team, we began to talk about what if here in Pittsburgh. We begin to pray. We begin to fast. And over a number of weeks, we were in full agreement that we believe God wanted to raise up a life-giving, relevant, powerful, gospel, Holy Spirit-filled church in Pittsburgh. And look what a year and a half later God has done here. Amen? What if? What if possibilities? What if? I believe there's some things that are worth standing firm and standing strong for today. Do you believe there are some things we need to stand firm and strong for? What if God possibilities? I believe when I look at this country, I think truth is worth standing firm and strong for, truth. I think integrity is worth standing firm and strong for in this nation today. I think freedom is worth standing firm and strong for in our nation today. I think the Constitution of the United States of America is worth standing strong and firm for today. I think it's worth, amen. I think it's worth standing as a friend of Israel firm and strong today. I think unborn babies are worth standing firm and strong for today. I think freedom of religion is worth standing firm and strong for today. I think people are worth standing firm and strong for today. And I think the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth standing firm and strong for today today. Come on. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together this morning. We're not going to live with if only regrets. 
We're going to step into history and eternity, and we're going to be able to live with what-if God possibilities. Amen? Amen. I'm stepping right now from what I think is impossible into God's possibilities. Get ready, church. Come on, it's not gloom and doom for the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to enter into the most exciting days. We have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. What if? What if? I believe if we'll put our eyes on Jesus and we'll believe him and obey him and worship him, we haven't seen anything yet. We're going to see people come into the kingdom. We're going to see people get saved you thought couldn't get saved. We're going to see people restored. We're going to see lives healed. We're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles. We're going to see a church of the last days, just like 120 in Acts 1 and 2. They gathered together out of if only regrets. They saw Jesus die, but now they're experiencing his resurrection in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 120 men and women, that's all, 120. We have more here right now today. We have more in Quakertown today. What if, what if that 120, they went into a pagan Roman empire, anti-God empire, and they turned it upside down for Jesus Christ. We're going to do the same thing in our watch, in our day, in our hour. Amen? What if? Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, today, I thank you. I thank you for who you are and what you're doing. I thank you for your peace. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you, Lord, may we be those people. We're going to stand firm. We're going to stand strong. We're not going to bend. We're not going to bow. We're not going to think, believe, or behave like this culture. We're going to stand for you. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I really don't know this Jesus and you're talking about him so personally. Yeah, you can know him today. You'd like to say, I want to know him. I, I, I want to know him. How do I know him? Not about him, but know him. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand everything, but I want you to come into my life. Forgive me. I want the life you have for me. I want to follow you. If that's where you're at this morning, just raise your hand right now. We're going to pray. You come into the family of God. You can have life here to the fullest, and you can have everlasting life. But all it takes is you saying yes to the Lord. So I'm going to take a moment. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just lift up hands right now and begin to worship Him. The worship team is going to close us out.